This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Ngunnawal people. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past and present. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Our sovereignty has never been ceded. Welcome to Reconciliation Roadmap, the podcast where we navigate the path to building better businesses through reconciliation. I'm your host, Holly Furling. And I'm Dixie Crawford, a proud Barkindji woman living on Ngunnawal country. I am your guide to developing and implementing reconciliation action plans. With years of experience as a RAP consultant, I'll bring you the insights and perspectives that really do matter. Think of us as your go-to RAP resource in your pocket, tackling all the questions that you've had. This isn't just a conversation. It's an actionable roadmap for your business towards positive change. We know what a wrap is. We've spoken about the different levels and potentially how a company can use a wrap to move towards positive change. But let's actually unpack some of the real opportunities that wraps provide organizations and what might also get in their way as well. So first things first, what's in it for businesses and how can a wrap can contribute to their overall mission? That's a great question, Holly, because it's a great question. It's a critical question that most organizations will skim over, right? So once we start to think about the motivation, the relevance, the potential and the impact of the wrap of a reconciliation action plan within an organization, we tend to be looking around at what other organizations are doing it from the perspective of who their core audiences are, who their stakeholders are that they're connected to, their workforces, their clients. We tend to look externally more than what we do internally. And this is a critical point that we have to start with in terms of who are we as a business? What are we doing? And why it is that we're doing something, right? So the first place to start really is to, to understand the overall mission of reconciliation and the core business of your organization. You need, you need to understand who you are as a business, what you contribute to and what your role in reconciliation action plans and reconciliation in this country will be. But the benefits and the opportunities that really do sit here is really based on the deliverables that sit in the Re- Reconciliation Action Plan. So we are wanting improved relationships with First Nations communities from a race relations perspective. We're wanting to demonstrate our commitment to corporate and social responsibility. We're also wanting to develop and create and nurture and continue to grow diverse workforces from the perspective of a lot of different people that have different worldviews, lived experiences, because that will present alternative ideas around decision-making, around problem-solving, about new ideas, whether it's new markets, whether it's how it is that we solve a problem. We always have these these limitations around what it is that we see and know and believe to be the truth based upon our worldview and and what we know, right? And there's someone else that knows something completely different. So having diversity of thought within a business is a really critical element of being able to put the best team on the field, right? There's my there's my cricket analogy for the day, Holly. <laughs> um, but it's always about being able to put Put your best foot forward around this and your best foot forward around any piece of work that you do is always having diverse perspectives. So there's definitely, so there's corporate and social responsibilities, there's improved relationships, there's diverse workforce, but then there's also the opportunity for you to develop and support a workforce that is culturally informed, that are aware of the 
uh, First Nations histories and cultures and communities and our lived experiences. So people have an understanding about where it is that we are coming from. We're not all on a level playing field, right? So there are opportunities that people have access to and there are opportunities that people don't have access to. And so by listening and learning about different perspectives and experiences, cultures, histories, communities, the way that people do things, you add a richness to your organization's thought process and the capability to understand yourself, right, as a business, but also the world that you are connected to. So there's a there's quite a few benefits around developing and implementing a wrap within your business. Well, there's so many just there, and I guess it's almost opening the eyes of your organization and, and further. Like to me, it just seems like a win-win. I'd love to know, Dick, so you've been a RAP consultant for quite some time. What have been some of the success stories that you've seen as to how a RAP has benefited a business? It's a, that's another interesting question is because when you get it right for First Nations communities and with First Nations communities, you get it right for your business. And there's an old saying around First Nations affairs everywhere, whether it's in health, education, employment, housing, criminal justice, whatever it might be, if you get it right for mob, you get it right for everyone because, once again, we aren't coming from a a perspective of a level playing field and we don't all have equal opportunity or access. And sometimes there needs to be changes to the way services are delivered and the way that First Nations people are considered in terms of what it is that we experience and what it is that we need to move forward and progress with our lives because we're just different. There are just differences that exist. But If you get it right for First Nations people and you do the critical self-reflection and you seek out alternative options around what solutions can be, then practising that will also inform and create opportunities for your organisation to be really critical and to create other opportunities around the way that you engage with other diverse groups of people in in the country, right, in Australia. So I think if you get it right for First Nations people, you can possibly get it right for everyone. There are changes and considerations that need to be made because we are a diverse group of – there's diversity in First Nations communities across the country. There's definitely diversity, you know, in the rest of the world. But if you manage that, you can get a lot of things right in terms of the way that you work with all different types of people and communities. So I think the other success stories that I've seen is – definitely about the deliverables that sit in Iraq, right? So we have stronger and more sustainable community partnerships that are that are really contributing and having an impact on better outcomes for First Nations peoples and communities. We're seeing the development and the maintenance of sustainable First Nations workforces within businesses, but also First Nations people transitioning into from entry-level and middle management positions to senior leadership and executive roles, which was not necessarily something that we've always seen, but if you if you check out the work of Pipeline, um, a recruitment company in Australia, First Nations recruitment company, you see consistently they are advertising for senior executive leadership roles, CEOs, coups, chief procurement officers, all targeted to Aboriginal people and workforces. So those positions are coming up, right, and they are coming more frequently and there's more opportunities there for Aboriginal people to be stepping into senior executive positions. The other way that we're measuring impact and success is around First Nations procurement. So we are generating and contributing to First Nations economies because we know that black businesses employ black people, right? So when you buy from a black business, you're likely to be supporting Aboriginal businesses that employ their family, their community members, people that they have connection to. So there's opportunity for economic and social development and change that occurs in our communities as a result of procurement. So the way that you see success with that is the implementation of procurement policies that is consistent but is also increasing year on year. 
And I guess the other two ways that I see success in terms of the implementation of a RAP is this. Communities will invite you into their spaces, right? So when you get invitations versus asking to be actively involved in the community or asking for a seat at the table or asking to be a part of agendas, you know, community working party groups or, you know, the local lands council meeting because you want to consult or you want to build a relationship, when you are invited in by communities, there's a good indication that people understand who you are, what you're about, or they're interested in who you are and what you're about and wanting to understand what a collaboration potentially looks like. The second point that I think is really important, which is a reflection of success and impact, is that communities will vouch for who you are as an individual, but they'll also vouch for your organisation. It's very important that you remember your reputation is what people say about you when you're not in the room. So if you turn up and you're tokenistic and you're inconsistent, you don't deliver on what it is that you say you're going to deliver on, just remember those experiences inform people's opinion and their willingness and capacity to engage with you in the future. So there is a real opportunity for you to have impact and have success here that is long-term and definitely sustainable and something that you can consistently build on if you want to be committed to this work. I've heard you say a number of times across this podcast that statement of critical questions and it wasn't too long ago you came to Cricket ACT and uh, presented a First Nations education session, which was amazing. And one of the first questions or critical questions you asked us were, what are you afraid of? And it was a noticeable barrier for a lot of us was that we were just so scared to say the wrong thing or to get it wrong in general. One of the questions that keeps coming to my mind with all of this and I guess maybe some of the barriers that might be in and around a wrap is, how would an organisation go about understanding First Nations culture and history respectfully, but also removing that fear element that exists so much throughout our society? A couple of things I want to go back to, right? That fear that there was a genuine fear and worry about if I ask this question, am I going to get it wrong when we did that session at Cricket ACT? And it was really interesting for me because all of you know who I am. You're very familiar with me. You know, I spend a lot of time around cricket. I'm probably, you know, I'm a very active board member or was a very active board member. It was funny to me. It wasn't funny, but it was, I guess, a a reflection of how fearful people are about getting this wrong and offending someone because you all know who I am, where it is that I come from, and we have multiple conversations about very different things all the time. But when it came to understanding racism and that cultural awareness element, there there was people just shut down, right? And so I guess for me this is where it was important to continue to build trust about the things that lurk in the shadows around our fear and our vulnerability of getting things wrong and offending, right? So I think there is a real opportunity for people and organisations to lean into the things that make them feel uncomfortable and certainly make you feel like you're out of your depth. If you don't, I promise you those things are not going to go away anyway, right? The conversations will need to be had at one point or another. So when you get to that moment of being vulnerable and being afraid, just recognize that you're about to step into the unknown for yourself and this is where you will either sink or you will swim. But if you sink, it's okay because there's going to be other people that will usually be there with you and they will be able to help you and support you to unpack what it is that you know, potentially the mistakes that have been made and where there's opportunities for improvement. So I just want to really reiterate there is that 
you have to embrace vulnerability and you have to embrace fear of getting it wrong because in, inevitably we all get it, we all mess it up at one point or another. But but that doesn't have to be a defining moment for you as a leader. It doesn't have to be the defining moment for you as a person. So the way that I encourage you to kind of unpack that and remove the fear and anxiety that you have is to always seek out new information and alternative ideas. And I say alternative ideas because you know, we know what we know and we know what we don't know. And once again, once we get to that edge of knowing what it is that we don't know, we get a little bit nervous and we go back to what makes us feel comfortable. So as a leader, you get a chance to lean into that work. So ask questions from a place of curiosity, from a place of critical self-reflection, but also I want you to ask questions from a place of critiquing content. And it's really important that we we validate, we we seek out valid information and we are not depending on the, you know, we are not referring to the comment section on Facebook or we're not referring to the conversation, the discussion that took place on Q&A or that took place on Sky News or wherever it might be. Definitely listen to those opinions and consider it, but it doesn't have, it can't be the only place where you seek out information, right? So have a think about, is the information that I'm receiving true? Is it, where is, where is the evidence for a particular statement or an opinion? What is the evidence? Is it something that is based on data? Is it something that's based on someone's lived experience and through storytelling or whatever it is that someone's told me from a personal perspective? Always critique information. And I really wish people had critiqued a lot of the discussions that took place in terms of, um, the referendum and the narrative that was going on during the last eight weeks in this country because it's really it's really important that we take responsibility for the for what it is that we do know and what it is that we don't know. I think also a critical factor to managing fear is to manage your self-limiting beliefs that turn up for you about who you are and your commitment to this work. So reframe some of the negative thoughts and conversations that continuously replay in your mind that are potentially holding you back. And they could be things like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm out of my depth. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to mess it up. Someone's going to think I'm an idiot. I'm going to be disrespectful. I don't want to be labeled a racist. Whatever, right? Let me tell you now, these are consistent conversations that people have all the time with me, but they also have them with themselves and with their colleagues. And what we tend to do is we will latch onto a piece of information that isn't necessarily true but it will keep us in our comfort zone and it will keep us safe because the ego is wanting to protect us. So I want you to critique the content that is available to you, really reflect on the narrative that is being replayed in your mind or that is being replayed in your organisation and recognise where there is an opportunity for reframe in terms of propelling yourself forward or recognising that this particular narrative is holding me back as a person, but also as a leader within my business and community. There's some really amazing tips in that, Dixie. I think, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And as you said, I think it's far more common than people realize, or it's really hard sometimes to look outside yourself. You, you feel like that your lived experience is the only experience or the only one going through something like that. I'm going to just say this, this other point, which is really important as well, is that we will we will construct an entire narrative in our head about what others will think about us. And I promise you, nine times out of ten, it's not true. 
right? We are our own worst enemy. We are the ones that will hold ourselves back. We are the ones that will be most critical, the most harmful and hurtful. Our self-talk is just wild when it's negative, right? Very rarely are we super duper and like amazing with positive self-talk, but negative, we will, we're professional at talking shit about ourselves, right? So this is where I really want you to check on is what I'm telling myself actually reflective of the evidence that I have available to me? And I promise you nine times out of 10, what you think about yourself, what you think about your impact, what you think about your potential is not true. So just get out of your own way, really? That's get out of your the, own way. Message, <laughs> message from Dixie. So in the last episode, you spoke a lot around the collaboration within a wrap with First Nations communities being critical to the development of the document as well and, and the impact that it can have. How can an organisation go about fostering a meaningful partnership? And I imagine that, uh, I mean, you already mentioned before some of the benefits to business, but I imagine that that's a, a massive opportunity for businesses to be able to do that effectively. Yeah, there are big opportunities, but there are also big, so there's big opportunity for, for solid impact, but there's big opportunities for massive mistakes. If you are not considered consistent and you are not centering the desires and the needs of First Nations communities along with the needs of your organization and what it is that you can contribute to. So what can happen is that we become very focused on a wrap being a strategic document with KPIs that just has to be done right? It has to be done. We've got to move forward. It doesn't matter, you know, whether or not there's changes in our organization from, a, I don't know, restructure or whether or not um, communities are experiencing some challenges at the moment around, I don't know, drought or bushfires or something like that, right? Like there's always some sort of external incident that might have an impact on people's capacity and their willingness to engage in order to achieve the deliverable within the time frame that's been set. So it's really important that we recognise that there has to be a centering of First Nations people at this point. Not that just at this point, there always has to be centering of the needs and aspirations of mob in the delivery and implementation of of the wrap. And if you're not this is where you definitely run the risk of being tokenistic and also being hurtful and harmful to our communities because you haven't understood the context of communities, but you haven't understood what it is that we need in order to progress forward together. There's an old line that is consistently used in reconciliation is you have to wait for trust. And if I go back to that earlier point about the way that you know you're being successful and impactful is communities will invite you in consistently right? They'll always invite you in. They'll always create opportunities for you. They'll accept your invitations for meetings or they'll encourage you to come to their community events. There are examples and demonstrated ways that communities will show you that they respect you and that you have their trust. Just as there are ways that communities will show you they don't trust you, they don't like you, they don't want anything to do with you, okay? So you have to consistently be focused on building trust and it's not just going to one or two community events. It's not about going out and doing consultation on a one-off basis. It doesn't work. It's very transactional and it's been done for decades and decades and that's why mob these days just want nothing to do with it, right? They don't want a bar of it. If you want to turn up to communities and you want to hear our, our perspectives and our opinions, you have to put in the work. And it's not usually the work is not done and delivered within a three-month time frame or an eight-week time frame or, you know, a four-week time frame. 
this is, by the way, my experience of working on stakeholder engagement projects is that some clients want me to go out and do community engagement and deliver on interviews and consultation and a report within a 28-day period. Not possible, not achievable, not even for like the most magical unicorn in the world, which by the way, I tend (laughs) to think I am, um, but it's just not achievable. So wait for trust, consistently turn up, consistently collaborate and seek feedback and advice about how you can be supportive to community. What do community need from you? What is it that they want? I'd also recommend that you constantly seek out introductions and maintain a consistency around your intention and your action, right? Don't go out and have big, bold, grand statements and huge launches of your reconciliation action plan and telling you it's the little one percenters that will make the difference all the time, right? So a lot of organizations will throw a ton of their wrap budget in a launch and then all of a sudden have nothing to implement cultural awareness training or have next to no money to engage someone to help them with their procurement policy or introduce them to First Nations suppliers or even buy a Supply Nation membership, right? Because we all threw our money into wanting to look like we were super committed, but actually not playing a longer game and being smart with our business case and our investment to actually deliver on the, um, to implement the deliverables of the wrap. So, and I guess the final point there, I get for me from a consistency, from a consistency perspective is do what you say you are going to do. Because the minute you don't deliver on what it is that you say you are going to do, I promise you, that will stick with your reputation and people will know who you are. They will pin you a mile away and they know exactly who you are, how you turn up when you want something, but also when you won't deliver. Mm, you just touched on a couple of the challenge points that a lot of businesses tend to have when developing or implementing a wrap. Are there any others that you can think of that you've come across throughout your work as a wrap consultant? Yes, here's a list I've prepared earlier. Um, so there's a couple <laughs> of core ones. There are a couple of core big ones that are actually easy. If you get them right from the beginning, they won't bite you in the ass down the track, right? So you have to make sure you build a really strong, solid foundation. And this is why it is so important to understand the relevance of the wrap to your organization and how it is that you will go about implementing the deliverables and that you understand the principles and the pillars and what the demonstrated values will be of your reconciliation action plan. So the first thing is not having clarity on your vision or your purpose or understanding that there needs to be demonstrated values and leadership in order to develop and implement the wrap. If you don't know who you are, why the document's important and what's expected of you as a leader, as a champion, as a sponsor, as a member of the working group, or even as an as an employee that is somewhat supportive but not necessarily having the capacity to do all, all the work but wanting to get involved. If you don't know who you are in this moment, how can you possibly know where it is that you're going, right? So it's important that you know what the vision is, the purpose, and what the de- what you understand to be the demonstrated leadership that's required to actually champion the wrap in, and the implementation in the business. Another challenge is that there's no clear or there is an inadequate governance structure that is supporting implementation or there is no governance structure that's that's supporting implementation. Another challenge is that there's no responsibility or clear responsibility on who's doing what and how it is that they will go about doing something. So usually a wrap, if I'm to be honest, it's additional work. It's not a part of someone's core business or their position description. 
And so the responsibility is usually placed on one or two people who are super passionate about reconciliation, right? They're the ones that go to the marches. They're the ones that buy from Clothing the Gap. By the way, go buy from Clothing the Gap, just a hot tip. Um, but they're the ones that are constantly doing the work, that are sharing resources, that are leading conversations. Eventually, these people will burn out unless there is strong and consistent leadership from the organization around our why and what it is that we're committed to and what it is that we and the resources that we need to put behind it. So sharing that responsibility is really, really critical because everyone has a role to play in the implementation of the wrap within the business. And I guess the final point there, which is one I've just um, quickly touched on, is not allocating or consistently investing in the appropriate resources for the delivery of the work. A lot of organisations tend to think that you're going to run the implementation of this strategic document on the smell of an oily rag. Let me tell you, you are high off your ass if you think that is going to happen because this work will cost you money. I'm not working for free and neither are my colleagues or other rap consultants out here in the industry. We're not going to work for you for free. We want to work with you and collaborate in a way that ensures your commitment and ensures that you maintain integrity and that there is impact and we're getting outcomes for our community communities. But this is a strategic document like any other strategic document and it requires time, the resources of time and money to effectively implement that. So if you don't allocate people plus money to this work, you are going nowhere very, very quickly. Is there a solution that encompasses a lot of those bits and pieces? Like is it just allocating time and resources effectively that can almost navigate then some of those other challenges that might pop up as a business? Like if you've got that as a solid foundation to start off with, is that the best place to start? It is the best place to start, but you also have to make sure that you are consistently you're proactive rather than being reactive. So there are some organizations. I um, recently had a conversation with an organization that told me they spent something like I think I think it was nine hundred and seventy thousand on the implementation of their stretch wrap, and that blew my mind. But also, I saw that being reflective in the outcomes that they have. Then there are some organizations that I know that have spent $13,000 on their wrap and they've not progressed anywhere who, and they're sitting at Innovate. And it's not always about the money, but I will say that money will make things a lot easier for you in terms of implementing and having access to the right cultural and professional IP to support you to do this work. This is particularly relevant if you do not have Aboriginal people that you are connected to, whether they be partnered community organisations that you're partnering with, whether or not they are Aboriginal staff that are working in your organisation. It's also important to remember it's not always, it's not the sole responsibility of black people in your business to run with and implement the Reconciliation Action Plan. We can and will certainly contribute to it when we can and when we want to, but don't put that additional expectation of the cultural load to hold space for teaching you about racism and discrimination and our cultural histories and our political experiences. It's not okay to consistently do that. And that's what happens to mob all the time. But resources will make things a lot easier for you and it will make sure that your staff aren't burnt out, but also you're getting access to the right information to make sure that this work that you do is impactful and relevant to your business, but also relevant to communities. Earlier in this episode, you used the word tokenistic and I know that there's so many 
goals and targets associated with a wrap and implementing them. How can an organization go about achieving some of those things while avoiding that tokenism, which I imagine is probably a fear for some organizations and for others, it might also be a bit of a blind spot. Yeah, definitely. And I think there are a lot of organizations that have wraps that shouldn't have wraps. And there are a lot of organizations that have wraps that should be progressing down the timeline and in a much more intentional and robust way. I think some organizations do well and there are some organizations that need to do better, but there are also definitely some organizations that full stop should just not have wraps. So I think in the foundational and the early stages of starting of making that decision around are we going to have a wrap or can, you know starting the discussions about a wrap, you need to make an informed decision about your organization's capability to approach the work, right? To approach reconciliation, but also your capacity your organization's capacity for change. So again, capability to approach reconciliation and capacity for change. From a perspective of capability, It's about do we have the resources, do we have the leadership commitment, do we have the governance processes in place, do we have connection to communities, do we have access and support of First Nations people in our organisations to do this work? If the answer is no, go back to the drawing board and work out is this the right thing for us. From a capacity perspective in terms of do we have the capacity for change, with reconciliation action plans, you are presenting new information about a narrative that some people haven't heard or some people aren't prepared to hear or consider. Again, this is about people's capacity. So recognise where capacity and capability is turning up for you because from my perspective, they are two very different things, right, whether or not people have the capacity to move or whether or not people have the the capability to do the work. I also want to say don't bite off more than what it is that you you can chew. Some organisations that I've worked with They've had deliverables of up to 140, um, 114 deliverables within their wrap. There's not even 114 deliverables across the entire framework of reflect, innovate, stretch, or elevate, right? So don't publicly commit to an external-facing document and then turn around and not have the capacity to do that because there's been changes within the business. So, again, don't bite off more than what it is that you can chew because you set yourself up for fail and you also set our communities up to be let down by you. The other thing that's really important is to maintain a focus on the activities that you are doing. So really focus on the performance and monitoring frameworks and setting those up. If you have a wrap, you have to report on it. So don't get caught out in terms of not monitoring and managing your progress because just only with your wrap time frame, you also have to report usually on the 30th of September of every year around your progress. And this is related to a document that Reconciliation Australia usually release in March or April of every year called the Wrap Barometer. And so this is where we look at the state of play around the, the impact of reconciliation action plans across the entire country. So with that point, it's really important, particularly as you move through innovate, stretch, and um, and elevate. Those go for a longer period of time, right? Two to three years, and then four and ongoing. Make sure that you're consistently monitoring the activities and that you are capturing that information because it can get lost. With it can be in people's heads. They can, you know, it's just you know a message or a memory that someone has, and it's not necessarily on paper, so it's hard to grab that information. And I guess the final point really around making a decision is around whether or not you were wrap ready or how to set yourself up really for success is always plan to adapt to change. As an organization, it is critical that you are proactive and not reactive. 
there is always critical events that happen in our communities consistently for Aboriginal people. There's always some sort of change and it's usually a major change that's change that's going to occur that can impact on the delivery and people's capacity and willingness to engage. So always be prepared to have contingency plans as a way to back you up in terms of if we have to pivot from this, if this happens, then we're going to try ABC. You always have to have a backup plan. So focus on being proactive rather than being reactive. I think that's a really nice way to leave the episode, Dixie, proactive, not reactive. I think that's worked really nicely across all the different challenges and opportunities that a number of businesses are going to face in the development and implementation of their wraps. And I guess this episode has extended a little bit more into the why you would engage or maybe not engage in a wrap at this point in time, but maybe consider later on. So thanks again, Dixie, for your time and and also all of your knowledge. Thanks, Holly. Thank you for tuning in to Reconciliation Roadmap. If the insights shared today resonate with you in your business, remember, I'm here to guide you further. Connect with me on LinkedIn or feel free to reach out to my business with Onion so I can help you take your next steps towards a more inclusive and connected future. You can find me at naganyu.com.au or head to the show notes.